Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Listeners, and welcome to Ohio Mysteries. This is our 10-minute mystery edition, a little slice of intrigue in the middle of your week. I'm your co-host, Steve Yoder, and with me is our storyteller and journalist, Paula Schleiss. Hi, everybody. Steve, tonight's 10-minute mystery was suggested by one of our listeners, Amy Rodriguez, who grew up in Sandusky hearing crazy stories about a place called Gore Orphanage, Wondered if we would investigate its authenticity. You ever hear of that one? No, but I. it's fantastic. We're getting some feedback from our listeners. That's great. Oh, I'm sure there are so many great ideas that they've got. Do not be shy. Let us know what they are. But this one's been an education for me. I, I was not aware of it, and yet it's been called one of the most haunted locations in Ohio, right outside the city of Vermilion on the other side of the river. It's been a destination for generations of ghost hunters and adventurers and the subject of late-night campfires because of the terrifying legend associated with it. So let me lay out the legend for you first. About a century ago, along Gore Road, there's a sad and decrepit orphanage filled with forgotten and abandoned children. And one night, it catches fire. Some say it started when a child dropped an oil lamp. Others wonder if old man Gore, who ran the place, set it alight on purpose, either wanting the insurance money or because he was just a crazed psychopath. Whatever the reason, the fire traps dozens of children on the second floor of the building. They try desperately to make their way to the first floor, the obvious avenue of escape. But a wall of flame stops them. There's nowhere to go. People from the village rush to the side after seeing the flames but they can't get inside. The place is an inferno. They stand around the building, listening to the terrifying screams inside, completely helpless. In the morning, the sun rises over the remains of a building that has been reduced to a pile of glowing embers. Only the foundation and some stone pillars remain, along with the ashes of a hundred children who had been burned alive. Well, soon after, the site became a destination for the very brave or the very foolish. Teenagers started visiting the area in the early 1900s. They'd drive their first automobiles to what was then called Gore Road in an attempt to get them up the steep ravine without stalling or to negotiate the sharp curves without crashing. There was also an abandoned mansion on the property, and the true test of bravery, they say, was to enter the remains of the building at night to prove you weren't afraid. 
Oh, man, the road, Gore Road, scares me. Oh, that, that <laughs> name. Well, for more than a century now, visitors here, they swear they've seen glowing lights and apparitions and have heard the spine-tingling wails of dying children. Some have claimed to have found the dusty fingerprints of children when they return to their cars. Now, there are a few problems with this legend. The biggest being there was never a Gore orphanage. So there was never a fatal fire at the Gore Orphanage and no old man Gore to set it. Was there a Gore Road? There was a Gore Road. Okay. Well, you know, that that's how some of these stories get started. You remember the old saying, where there's smoke, there's fire? Mm-hmm. Well, in this case, where there's fire, there's a little smoke. Oh, okay. So it's, it's an interesting exercise to try to figure out how a legend is born. And I think we can get close to pinning this mystery down. First, the word gore, as you have pointed out. I mean, you name a road gore, you are begging for a gore <laughs> legend. Exactly. Okay? But it's actually a perfectly innocent word. Back in the day, a gore referred to a triangle. And sewing, a gore was a piece of fabric that was cut to taper along a body contour. Oh. They often applied this term to land when a strip of property resembled a a triangle or a similar contour. So in this specific case, Gore Road got its name because when the road here was originally laid out on paper to divide Lorain County from Huron County, the surveyor made a mistake, and the measuring error revealed a thin strip of land that belonged in neither. So it was annexed into Lorain County and given the name Gore Road because of its shape. Now, after the turn of the 20th century, the name of the road was changed to Gore Orphanage Road. And that's because there was an orphanage located here. It was founded in 1902 by a religious zealot named the Reverend Johann Sprunger. And it was called Light and Hope. Now, Sprunger and his wife, Katerina, who operated the institution outside Vermilion, and another one just like it in Bern, Indiana. They had a reputation for being cruel. In Bern, Indiana, the Reverend Sprunger was so unlike by his fellow Mennonites that he split from them and formed his own church. His orphanage had some 80 youngsters in 1901 when local newspapers told the tale of a boy named Walton Lips, who was put in the orphanage by his mother's family when his mom died. His father spent six years searching for him, and when he finally found him in Sprunger's orphanage, the Sprungers whisked the boy away to Cleveland to hide him. It took several more months for father and son to be reunited, and when they were, little Walton started talking. What he told newspapers had them describing it as a place of medieval torture that made the suffering of orphans and Charles Dickens' books look tame by comparison. The boy said he was forced to perform hard labor and beaten with a rawhide strap for even the slightest infraction. Another popular punishment was to make the children kneel for half a day. Mm. Well, a few years later, similar tales surfaced in Ohio. The Sprungers had purchased more than 500 acres of a farm outside Vermilion in 1901 and turned it into a complex with separate buildings for boys and girls, workhouses, and a printing department. Well, by 1909, the stories of abuse inside that orphanage had reached the ears of the law, and Reverend Sprunger was arrested and tried. Good. 
An account in the Illyria Chronicle Telegram shared the testimony of children who said they had been beaten with a strap, fed spoiled food, lived in a constant state of lice and bedbugs, and slept in cold rooms. They said they were permitted to bathe once a month with up to 30 children using the same bath water before it was changed and given no towels so they always had to use their dirty underclothes to dry. During the trial, three women in the community told of how they had formed an underground railroad of sorts to help children escape the place. In the end, Sprunger was not convicted of anything. He even admitted to some of the charges. For instance, he didn't deny he made the children eat the diseased flesh of a cow that had died. But in the end, it was determined he hadn't actually broken a single Ohio law as the law was written at the time. So he was released, and the orphanage was allowed to continue to operate. There's something else about the Light and Hope Orphanage that contributes to the future legend that's going to form, and that's the Swift Mansion. Now, the abandoned mansion was on the orphanage property, but unused. It had been built in the 1820s by Joseph Swift, a very successful farmer. It had once been a magnificent Greek revival home, by some accounts the most elaborate residence in the region. But it was filled with sadness and death. The Swifts lost their five-year-old daughter in 1831 from a mysterious illness. And their adult son, Herman, died at the home in 1841 from what was called a peculiar wasting. Then Swift lost his fortune because of bad investments in the railroad business. He sold the grand house in 1865 and moved away. Now the Swifts called their home Rosedale, but its location has always been more commonly known as Swift's Hollow. And wouldn't you know it, the next owner of Swift's Hollow would only add more to the growing legend of this property. His name was Nicholas Wilbur, and he was a renowned spiritualist at a time when spiritualism was trending in America. He was known for organizing seances at his house. And like the Swifts, the Wilbers were met with a run of terrible personal luck. In 1893, they lost four grandchildren to diphtheria in a six-day period, all of them in the mansion. Then Wilbur himself took sick and began to suffer what was described as a strange, wheezy, wasting disease, which some have come to believe was an effect of exposure to the diphtheria. His wife died in 1899, possibly after having suffered serious mental illness after having seen four of her grandchildren die, and Wilbur died in 1901. Left abandoned, the mansion quickly became a playground for adventurous youth who would slip into the deserted home and try to have their own seances or contact the ghosts of all the children who had died there, even raise demons. Even after the property was purchased by the Sprungers, this was happening. By 1911, Sprunger was ill and bedridden, and the orphanage closed. And in 1918, Mrs. Sprunger sold the property to a developer who divided it into small farms. So we're getting close to the facts that contributed to the legend, but we're missing a fire. And for that, we might have to relocate a horrifying event that happened just 40 miles away. 
in 1908 in the town of Collinwood. A fire at the elementary school killed 176 students. Some of the children were trapped on a second floor because when they descended the stairs in an attempt to escape, they were met with a wall of flame. And they couldn't return back upstairs because panicked students were still descending, pushing them into the fire. And just like the legend of the Gore Orphanage, people in Collinwood who saw the flames rushed to the site, but they couldn't help. Rescuers tried pushing the door open to release the children, but the door only opened inward and bodies had piled up against it, making it impossible to move. A couple of years later, Collinwood voters, afraid they couldn't provide sufficient fire safety on their own, annexed themselves into Cleveland. And over the years, many Collinwood families migrated west to the Vermilion area. Some have suggested those families brought their nightmare with them. And as the story of their experience was retold, it took root in their new community and forever became entwined with the memory of those abused orphanage children. There's some real fire in this story right there at the site as well. In 1923, the abandoned Swift Mansion was burned down, presumably by late-night vandals. And some of the buildings of the orphanage were also burned down, all assumed to be arson. Now, according to the Vermilion Business Chamber website, the most visited site there is off Gore Orphanage Road, just north of Rosedale and across the small Vermilion River Bridge. The remnants of the orphanage can't be seen from the road, but substantial remains are in the area of Sperry Road Hill. And deep in the woods, some graffiti covers sandstone columns that mark the entrance of that abandoned mansion. And though I could find no record of where they were buried, possibly the overgrown graves of those six unfortunate children from the Swift and Wilbur families. Wow, that's fantastic. That story is very interesting. You know, you can kind of see how that legend was formed. You nailed it. You know, fire and there's some smoke. There you go. All right. Well, that's it for our midweek 10-minute mystery. We'll see you here Sunday for our next regular full-sized Ohio mystery episode. In the meantime, enjoy the rest of your week, and may all of your mysteries have happy endings. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.